Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is George. I'm here at my temp job. I'm working as a security guard at the SF International Film Festival. And uh, my buddy Mike is here. How are you doing, Mike? Doing well, George. Thanks for having me. Mike's about to do some uh, quiz mastering for a trivia night. Uh, in this film festival. Uh, hey, Mike, are you familiar with the band Bratmobile? Yeah, of course. Yeah, are you familiar with the singer Allison Wolf and her other projects like uh, Deep oh, Lust? I can almost name you. Wait, Deep Lust, what Cold, else? Cold Hearts, Party Line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I did an interview with Allison. Oh, it's fantastic. In Los Angeles at her house uh, a couple Is months ago. Is that what we're introducing right yeah, now? Yeah, it's what we're introducing right now, and it's pretty fun. We talk about a lot of stuff. She, she went on this trip to Georgia, the country. Uh, she went lived in Thailand when she was like out of high school. A lot of fun stuff. So I'm glad you're a fan. You you know. What's yeah, going I think out. that Redmobile is sort of the unfortunately uh, kind of forgotten band of that scene. Yeah, yeah. Without speaking ill of any of the uh, other standard bearers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Like it's 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 a, a issue that we're going to redress right now. Oh, okay, great. In this Let's, interview. Oh, well, I can't wait to listen to it. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, right, George. Here we go. Interview time. All right, well, I'm here with George. I'm in Allison Wolf's apartment in Echo Park. We're in Echo Park. This is totally Echo Park. Yeah, Echo Park. It's lovely, isn't it? When you decided to move to New York, were you just kind of feeling like a little bit like you needed to change your pace from D.C. or something? Yeah, it was weird. I just, I had been in D.C. for so long, and I, I loved it, and I do miss it, and it's so beautiful. It was such a comfortable place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is like a second home to me. Um, but I just, I felt like it was too conservative, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, people vote very liberally there, really, really liberally, which is great. But I feel like people are personally conservative there, you know, their suits. Mm-hmm. And even though you have people doing great things, it's like the headquarters of the nonprofit. They're the suits of the nonprofits, you know, right. they're not really the ground workers or whatever. I don't know. I've never spent any time there, but when I think of it, like, you, you know, there's that whole punk scene that emerged out of there so in reaction I'm sure to a lot of that but also DC has changed a lot over the years so I think a lot of uh what people were reacting to punks and stuff in DC was the um kind of like huge gap between rich and poor and between federal politics and and local happenings I mean the city of DC was vastly different Uh from the federal government right Um, yeah it was such a it was such a huge contrast and um, conflict really, and so I think a lot of the punk scene was in reaction to that. Um, but the thing is now it's so insanely gentrified and it's so yuppied out now, and there's just tons of box stores and everything. They're just, I mean, it's too bad. DC, it's still pretty. It's a very green city. It's fun, but it's a playground for the rich now, and it's. That's kind of disgusting, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think um, 
Well, also, they just tear down old buildings and stuff and build up these ugly, square, icky malls. Lots of little malls, mini malls and stuff now. Um, but anyways, when I lived there, I was riding my bicycle everywhere, and I was one of the few. I mean, besides the couriers, of course, but I was... It was rare. I got yelled at from cars. I got honked. I got honked at. I got ran off the road constantly, um, harassed all the time. People screaming, screaming at me for riding my bike or having wearing bright colors or having streamers on my bike, whatever. Um, I was a big freak in D.C. <laughs> and it's weird because in Olympia, I just look like everyone else, right? And in San Francisco, like if I were in the Bay Area, I'm sure people would think I'm the most conservative thing they've ever seen. But in D.C., I was like the total freak. And which is fine in a way because I want to live life large or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it gets tiresome feeling like you're one of the few people. Like you don't have a lot of... You don't have a lot of support. Uh And eventually I was like, I want support. Also, you don't end up dating or going out with anyone because the scene's so small, and um, I love a lot of people there, but unfortunately, I think their personal politics are often a little conservative, you know? They have some traditional values that they're not admitting, but come out in weird ways, and then you just feel more alone. You're with someone, but lonely. Like, relationship-wise. Yeah. So I was always just kind of importing. (laughs) which doesn't work either long distance never really worked did you move to New York for a relationship no no I just um I just thought I wanted to change and I wanted to try something new out and um I had a friend um Amanda Huron who was living up there and she had a room opening in her apartment and she's great she's just one of the best roommates I've ever had and um so I moved up there but it was it was a hard it was hard New York because, can be hard, yeah. Well, it was also just financially hard. It was... Right, because you had a really good, a pretty I had a great apartment. Job. Yeah. yeah, I had a great apartment that was super cheap in D.C. The landlord is great. He didn't raise a rent hardly ever. Um, and then also I had... I worked at the Washington Post newspaper, so it was a good job. Lots of perks, lots of benefits. <laughs> yeah, you got to, like, spend a lot of time away from there yeah. and just work remotely for a while I remember yeah they let me come and go uh-huh. and that was great um and I could still have my job back you could be part-time and still get benefits uh-huh. um there's tons of free stuff everywhere always free snacks and free stuff on the free table and I didn't realize what a cush life I had in DC until I left uh-huh. and it was painful yeah. that was a painful awakening Unfortunately, I mean, I don't know about the Post, but I think journalism in general has suffered. The quality has gone down. Whenever I look at articles online, like the Huffington Post or something, I cannot believe how many mistakes are in there. Well, they're not getting paid. No one who writes for the Post is getting, the Huffington Post is getting paid. The editors get paid. Well, there's no one editing. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I would. Lo- I mean, I hate to hear that the editors are getting paid because no one's editing that right, crap. No copy editing. I'll tell you what. There's no copy editors there because I have never seen so many spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, and I'm an English teacher now, and that stuff just gets right up in me. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't deal with it. And after working at the Post and doing a lot of proofreading there, mm-hmm. and editing bits, I mean, I can't deal with it. I can't believe how bad the quality of journalism is now. 
Yeah, I mean, it really seems like they're just like, here, let's let interns cover everything. And that seems to be... Even the New York Times online, I'll read it, and it's like, uh, was there an editor present? Because yeah. I don't think so. It's, it's really weird, because, yeah, it is going through everything that's being altered by technology. Actually, I think that what we're doing, in a way, like, I think a lot of the stuff that's happening with podcasting is like a, and long-form storytelling in audio, I think is starting to be an interesting place to do stuff. I'm frustrated because I was at one point paid to write, right. and I still hope to be paid to write eventually again, uh, but it, the amount of money out there is just shrunk, and like the quality in general seems mm-hmm. like it's way down. Not because I'm not doing it, just like the quality. It's across the board, and yeah. you're right, I mean, because you're right, I don't believe there should be this super elite, that they're the ones who gets to write, and whatever. Right. I mean, I do believe in the democratization of journalism Mm -hmm. but at the same time we need to be able to do it in a way where the standards are kept high yeah and how do we do that there needs to be some quality control some fact checking stuff like that so i mean like obviously i mean with journalism i mean happening with you know music it's it's also all the stuff that we know Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know how to make a living (laughs) doing anything else so i'm still kind of scrambling and i kind of gotta keep abreast of it but it sounds like you found a way out (laughs) because you're teaching English (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know if it's out but yeah you're right like I never have been able to make a living off of music but I also never tried right I mean we came from this time and this DIY aesthetic and and values and whatnot where it was like we know no one's goal was ever to make money off their music and in Mm -hmm. fact it was seen as like yeah it was frowned upon so um and the idea i guess would be that like as soon as money gets involved it ruins the art i don't know i'm not saying that that's i necessarily believe in that but i used to for sure and i do i still do somewhat i guess well i mean i guess this was a good time to set a a context around like the band that you started how old were you when you started when you guys started Bratmobile? I I can't remember if I was 19 or 20, but it wasn't that young compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of people these days, starting, or especially compared to a lot of young boys. Right. But it was, yeah, I was um, in college. Mm -hmm. I had just started college, and I met Molly Newman, who was the drummer in Bratmobile, in the dorms at the University of Oregon in Eugene, and we were just really bored. And, uh, oh, I didn't realize you guys started in Eugene. You didn't even start in Olympia? No. Huh? Wow. I mean, I had, I had grown up in Olympia, but I, I wanted to go away to school. So <laughs> Eugene. I went to Eugene. <laughs> I was like, well, that's close enough to still go home, but, you know. I mean, I should have gone to U- University of Washington, much better school. And I had straight A's, so I could have easily gone to a better school. But I wanted to say that I went out of state. I wanted to go away to school. Yeah. And I felt like going to Seattle, which was only an hour away, didn't feel like going away. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I, Molly was my neighbor in the dorms, and um, she was this like loud, fast-talking, pretty uh, bossy East Coast girl, mm-hmm. and uh, she kind of scared me at first, but I was um, sort of strangely attracted to that scariness, and uh, we became fast friends, mm-hmm. and uh, it was cool.
we just thought we shared a lot of ideas and got really politicized separately and together. Does Eugene have kind of a, a lefty bent to it? And well, it does. It was kind of a, I mean, I, I haven't been there in ages, so right. I'm sure it's different. But back then, it was, it's really, really hippie. It's really isolated, first of all. It's mm-hmm. not even straight off of I-5. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it really has a hippie history. But at the same time, there's a lot of kind of loggers and stuff, too. And there's a lot of um, tension mm-hmm. between kind of left and right politics there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting place. But it's also creepy. Like, it was the place where, you know, you really would see the stranger in the bushes. Look in a bush and there was a weird freak in there, like, doing something weird, you know? <laughs> it was creepy. It was a creepy place. Yeah. There were some scary people. Um, and then did you guys just move to Olympia and transfer to schools? We did. I mean, I really preferred University of Oregon to Evergreen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Molly really hated Eugene. She wanted to get out of there. And I and I knew that Olympia was the place to be for music, especially the kind of music we were doing. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to be in, a, in our community, which mm-hmm. by then was like, you know, Bikini Kill and Heavens to Betsy and all these people who were all in Olympia at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Calvin, and Beat Happening, and all this stuff, so, um, so that's fine, but I did not appreciate Evergreen, when I, (laughs) I went there, I thought it was a bullshitter school, and it didn't do much for me, I think it's good for alternative education, people, people who need alternative education, I, like I said, I was a straight A student, I, I think I do better in structured, more traditional environments for learning, yeah, and then, yeah, I remember you said the thing that you actually, like, you were living in, when did you go to do the Thailand thing? Oh, right. I had been an exchange student for one year in Thailand um, after I graduated from high school. Oh, so it was okay. the year between high school and college. Okay. So I just repeated a 12th grade year, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was a, a, an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was incredible. I had a horrible host family, though, and um, I have since met a lot of people who have been exchange students in America and all over the world who have similar experiences to tell. That's because, like, they get a little bit of money for hosting you or something like that? Maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out why host families are so heinous and horrible, but I think that because often they have um, ulterior motives, they have their own agendas, and it could be money. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's status. Mm-hmm. Like, it's cool like to have I the have American like kid. or token whatever. American. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or sometimes um, it's religious conversion. Oh. Unfortunately, a lot of um, really uber-Christian families in the U.S. and in the middle of nowhere will take in students. Oh, yeah. And for some reason, these exchange students get sent to, like, the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. Oh, you're going to get a real country experience. Well, the problem is in the U.S., there ain't no more country, hardly. Mm-hmm. It's strip malls. It's yeah. Walmart towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not really getting culture when they go to these places. And there's a lot of, like, Bible thumpers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And these religious families will bring them in and try to convert them. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of students who had that experience. Right, because you're working now with students that are mostly Thailand or, uh, yeah. or ESL. Are you doing mm-hmm. ESL right now? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's English as, I guess ESL, that's. I guess it's not so PC because it's not really their second language. Well, oh, a lot of them it is, actually. It's a better but, term. I don't even know. But it might, I, what do they say? Like ELL, English language learners. Okay. Because the idea is that a lot of them might already know many other languages. Mm-hmm. But honestly, at my school, no. This is most of their second language. Anyways. Okay. 
But yeah, most of the students are Thai, Japanese, Korean, and Saudi. And then we have a few Russians, and yeah, it's is it, cool. Is it Echo Park? Or no, it's no? in Koreatown. In Koreatown. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really like it. It's, I mean, it's hard work. Teaching mm-hmm. is probably the hardest work I've ever done. Um, but it's social. I like to have a job where I use my brain every day, mm-hmm. and where I'm kind of performing every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that would be my skill, is sort of talking and performing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, in teaching, you have to have something to back it up. Right. And so you have to have that knowledge. Whereas on stage when I'm playing, I'll be like, whatever, and mess up a song. It's supposed to be that way. It's harder in English to say, oh, it's supposed to be that way when you spell stuff wrong or right. Did you do some other random jobs when you first got to New York before finding this stuff? Yeah, I worked at a yarn company. A yarn That was kind of funny. I learned to knit, I, but I'm not very good. But I can knit squares and rectangles. When did that translation, the, the manga job happen? Oh, right. Um, yeah, I did the, handled the English adaptation of Nana for um, Viz, which is based in San Francisco. Um, and it was, we were doing Ayazawa's Nana um, manga series. And uh, I didn't translate it because I don't know Japanese. Right. But um, the Japanese translator who lives in Tokyo would email me the files. And then I would rewrite it into like English slang, American slang. Vernacular, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is, that is probably one of the best jobs that I've ever had. That sounds so fun. I love it, and I love Ayazawa's, um, drawings. I think she's so skilled at conveying, like, emotion and feeling through her facial expression drawings. Mm-hmm. And she, she's just spot on. And her, it was, I thought it was smart writing. It was, you know, somewhat feminist. Definitely, like, lesbian undertones. Lots of gender stuff going on that's very, I found very interesting. How did they tap you for it? Actually, one of the editors um, knew about Bratmobile, oh. and he called Lookout Records and said, I want to offer Allison a job. Well, luckily, Erin, who was in Bratmobile, answered the phone. <laughs> she was suspicious, though. She called me. She was like, some weird guy wants to hire you for a job. And I said, please, bring it on. I need work. <laughs> so it was great. Um, and I did it for years. Um, unfortunately, Ayazawa... Um, stopped doing Nana for a while. I'm not sure why exactly, and I don't think there have been any more. Um, so I've been on hold indefinitely for, gosh, like at least two years now, I think. So Order of Bands you did, so this Bratmobile, and then that was actually not happening for a very long time, and then kind of restarted. Yeah, so I did Bratmobile from 1991, basically, until um, 1994. We broke up on stage in New York City. It's quite a drama fest. Pretty hilarious. Wow. Um, I guess it wasn't funny at the time. I was right. crying on Aww. stage, but whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. You're all still friends now. Yeah, yeah. it's cool now. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure I was being like completely crazy. It was probably most. I think it was mostly my fault. And um, <laughs> I was just wasn't strong. I felt beaten down. There was a massive backlash against Riot Girl. There were, yeah. There were a lot of people who felt like if they could tear down um, who they saw as the figureheads of Riot Girl, it would make them more cool or political or more right or whatever. Oh, is this like an MRR thing or what is No, it? but people just, people really went after me. And people also really went after Kathleen. Right. And it was just kind of like, chill out, dude. Like... 
people that were critiquing, like, they're just, like, trying to catch catch you being inconsistent. Yeah, or, or being, like, fucked up or being mm-hmm. not totally PC or whatever, you know? I mean, I hate, the, sorry, I hate the term PC. I shouldn't use it. But, um, but just, yeah, whatever. Trying yeah. to catch you in some political snuffy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, but whatever. So we broke up on stage. It was pretty crazy. I mean, Joan Jett was there, Kim and Thurston, John Spencer, you know, um, Blonde Redhead opened for us. Oh. It was one of the first times they played, I think. It was early, early on. Togo Did you make it through the it? whole set? Or was it just like, this is the last song of our whole band? I think we shortened the set a bit, yeah. <laughs> we did try. I think we had to, They Molly left the building. I think we had to beg her to get back just to finish the set. I think we sort of finished the set. But it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, anyways. And you were living in D.C.? or? I was living in D.C. at the time. You were doing a lot of... I had just moved to D.C. Like, I think I was just in the process of moving there when that happened. And then, so then I fully, fully moved to D.C. after that. And then it didn't take too long. I was sitting around bitching and complaining all the time. And my friends were like, "Uh, you need to get back in another band. Mm -hmm. So then I started Cold Cold Hearts with Aaron, who was in Bratmobile. And then um, there was a girl, Laura, from Australia, from 99. Oh, was she in that band? She was actually in Cold Cold Hearts. Oh, yeah, I know her, yeah. Because she had been visiting in the U.S., and I had invited her. We needed a drummer. Um, Unfortunately, um, well, Erin decided that she didn't want to have a long-distance person in the band. Oh, I guess so did Sleeper Timmy. Yeah, it was really unfortunate. It was sad because... She is a very talented person. She is, and she's a great person, and I felt really, really bad about it. Mm -hmm. But even though it was Erin's decision, not mine, Mm -hmm. um, I can't say exactly that Erin's wrong. I think it is smarter to have local people in the band. And um, in the end, so then we had... um, we added Natals on bass and Catherine on drums, and they were best friends. So they joined the band. I don't know any of those people, but I really love this Flynn Flon record. Oh, yeah. Natals is in Flynn Flon, right? Right. Did she play the bass? Yeah, well, well, Mark Robinson got to know her because we recorded with him, oh, okay. and he liked her bass playing. Yeah, that record's great. That Flynn Flon record's so good. Yeah, yeah. She's very talented. Yeah, is she in bands anymore? Uh, no, unfortunately, or not that I know of. But that, she's very talented. There's two things I want to touch on, which one is, like, there's this, there seems to be, like, as you get older, the number of your friends that were in bands is going to start dropping off. Mm-hmm. And one thing, and then maybe about that time, and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot because I'm sure people, now it seems like Riot Girl is a thing that, you know, people write PhD theses on, and, you know, there's books and everything. Yeah. Um, I do think of that time, there did seem like there was... It was like a thing where like exposure and media attention was a very dangerous kind of mix to throw into everything because maybe it was because you guys were still figuring out what you were doing or were you kind of gun shy about getting media attention at the time? Like with Riot Grill? Yeah, yeah. I think we were just freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, of course we thought that what we were doing was important but we really, I mean, our whole thing was the, this idea of taking over the means of production and cr- basically creating your own media, like mm-hmm. creating your own images and being in control of that, creating your own writings your own by fanzines or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, 
put, you know, I, I don't know, keeping everything really DIY and not corporate and not having any corporate control on anything. So, of course, we know that to a large extent, media is controlled by corporations. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and you lose control. I mean, the writer, the editor, the copy editor, by the time it goes to print, Lord knows what's in there, you mm -hmm. know? And we were very sensitive to that. Did especially. you feel like anyone in particular truly misrepresented it? Oh, constantly. Yeah. I feel like, no, everything. everyone. Everyone misrepresented it, because no one could be from the inside talking about it. Right. And no one was from the inside. It was usually, they would say, okay, they might send like a female reporter, but usually it was a pretty mainstream girl who didn't know what the hell was going on. Or didn't know anything about punk to throw no. out there or anything. No, So, you know, it was just sort of like, what? And and then there was this total sensationalizing going on. Mm -hmm. Like, because, of course, they got to sell papers. they got to sell the story. Mm -hmm. um, but it just always cheapened it. The effect was always mm -hmm. that it was defanged, declawed, and cheapened. It mm -hmm. cheapened the message. It made it look like it was purely aesthetic. It made us look stupid. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't know. And so I think that was what people got really bummed. We got bummed about. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's just, it's weird to read about yourself in third person. It's really yeah. strange because it's never quite right. right. It's not your words. Mm -hmm. And so maybe also... And you guys were pretty young at the time, too. Yeah, and, and just all of a sudden the whole scene in the Northwest exploded and no one really knew how to handle it. We oh, yeah, because that was contemporaneous with, like, Nirvana blowing up around the same stuff. time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that grunge was slightly before, but it kind really? of all was on the same trajectory. Well, I mean, as being a, a sort of someone who's exposed to that in an impressionable age, I sort of felt like, I'm, you know, not that much younger than you, but I was still in high school when all this stuff was happening. Yeah, I mean, I was an impressionable person, so, like, all, like, you know, like, oh, you know, Nirvana is into this, and then, like, uh, you know, there's all these bands in the Northwest, and it seems really political, and I was, like, attracted to the political side of it, too. Um, I think it's, it's a weird thing of, like, if, if that stuff didn't somehow trickle into the mainstream, then no, no one would know about it still. It would still be a thing that was just, you know... 20 people or something new about in a town or something mm -hmm. like that, in a way. Do you think that's true, or...? Well, you mean, like... Like, as far as... Yeah, the, no, I understand like the legacy, A legacy or something about it. Right. Well, you're right. Some people might say, oh, it's kind of elitist to try to keep things small or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but I don't know. It's a tough call. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't believe in trying to exclude people necessarily or mm -hmm. anything like that. But I do believe that certain things are maybe only meant to go so far and that they only really have um, true meaning in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. And that maybe it is important to keep it in your hometown or in your region mm -hmm. or within a feminist context or whatever that might be, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I would even say, like, there's a sort of a similar thing, and this is more on the aesthetic side of it, but when I would talk to people, like, maybe, like, ten years ago, there was all these bands coming up, and they're like, oh, they're a no-wave band. And it was like, oh, that's a no-wave band. And then the people that are, like, dire is like, no, there's only, like, four or five no-wave bands because of this record. That was the No New York record. Um. And you only count the No New York records as those bands. So, like, you're not a no-wave band. It's like, well, you're, like, influenced by... No wave, and then right. I guess there would still be like bands of con. I don't know that this happened, but I assume that I, I vaguely remember people probably said Eraserada was a riot girl band, even though <laughs> they're not one of those. Uh, they're clearly right. there's a connections and there's influences, but uh -huh. you can't say that they're a riot girl band because I only think of that right. time period and like 
Yeah, it's, it it's really really an bands. era. It's really about the time frame as much as it's about anything else. Mm-hmm. And now I think it's so crazy every time I see something like, there's like a Riot Girl Halloween costume. Have you seen that thing going around on Facebook? No. It's just it's like, like kind of just a punk girl costume with like a plaid School skirt or something skirt, yeah. and they say right girl but they and you know g-i-r-l <laughs> it's just like I'm like they're selling that at like walgreens or something no like, way. That is a, i'll forward that to you it's hilarious because i'm just like oh my god that's that's so weird that that's what it turned into it's like crazy, 20 years right? later you know it's crazy it's so weird so it's the thing you can't you can't really control yeah. where it that was like a meme before we knew what memes were i guess right. really like you guys created a meme yeah I mean, it was crazy. The thing is, is I mean, whatever, it's kind of funny now. But at the time, we were just really protective of what we had created and the networks and the communities and stuff. And um, we just felt, most of us felt like we didn't have anything to gain from mass media. Right. Um, in the end, though, it's not exactly true. I mean, there's people like Bikini Kill who can somewhat live off their royalties you know or something like that like selling records or it also the publicity gets people to go to your shows and buy your records so it so the bands had something to gain from it Mm -hmm. even though we never saw money back much back then Mm -hmm. so we didn't think we did but in the end we did yeah but there were so many people involved in riot girl who were not in music actually or they Mm -hmm. were they went to shows but they may not have been creating music or selling music and now they really had not not much to gain from the publicity and i felt like it kind of hurt them most right right because it just made it about just it's a music scene rather than more of the ideals that were going on but it really ended up turning it into an aesthetic because it was just stupid so when you see that, like, yeah, Riot Girl Halloween costume, it's like, oh, my God, you're having your ideas, your culture stolen from you mm-hmm. and then repackaged and sold back to you at a higher price. Right. Well, on the flip side of that, I would say an example of, like, the meme taking off and, like, almost giving it more credit than maybe is accurate would be, like, in the case of, like, Pussy Riot or something, mm-hmm. where it's all, people in the press are referring to them as a Riot Girl band. It's like... Like, well, that's not accurate either, but it is, they were directly influenced yeah. by what was happening. Um, they were. I mean, they, they were definitely in direct con. Yeah. Like, they're in direct contact with Bikini Kill for right. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have any thoughts about that? Whole yeah, I mean, no. I mean, I think it's really exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got these really sharp, I mean, brilliant and well read and um, interesting women. Um, might not just be women in the whole group, but I think, you know, who we see at least, who are, who are, who's in jail, the women, mm-hmm. um, just creating this, like, per, it's performance art, really, yeah. and it's politicized performance art, and, and it's in your face, and it's very smart, it's on point, mm-hmm. yet it's really, like, fantastic and kind of funny, too, yeah. and um, it looks good, it's everything that, Riot Girl did or hoped for, I guess. Actually, it's more probably. That's what I was gonna say. It's actually it's, like it's there's a step more, further. There's more at stake. Yeah. In with them than there is even with like you're like a kid from the suburbs who like whatever. Yeah. Like was believe like you believe you're like you know 
like what like nation Ulysses could talk about like oh like you know we had to destroy our fingerprints so the FBI couldn't find yeah. us or whatever like but this, this is, is a real for, deal for real yeah, yeah no real. this is a real deal yeah and that's the thing that most impresses me is their mm-hmm. courageousness and their bravery in yeah. the face of that and I mean you know now they're getting sent away to like prison work camps in the yeah. middle of nowhere separated from their daughters or kids I know yeah. that some of them have kids I mean it's yeah it's horrible and um. And you're right, we didn't really face that kind of threat. I think Bikini Kill had some crazier stuff happen to them, Mm -hmm. but um, Bratmobile didn't really. Yeah. So, no, I didn't usually feel, like, legally threatened or physically Mm -hmm. threatened too much. Yeah. Well, you guys always thought, uh, because you had this kind of, like, surf sound, I felt like it was, like, yeah. a little more fun. It was, like, a, yeah. a little we more We weren't sl- sloganistic yeah, either. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was more, like, more, most of the songs, at least my writing, was um, showing how the personal is political and how can we, calling people out who treat each other like shit and how can we make this better and, um, and also trying to build self-esteem in girls in the face of boys telling them they're stupid or mm-hmm. whatever. Well, uh, the weird thing I was going to say about this, with the pussy right thing, like, let's say something really comes out of, like, taking Putin down because of this moment, and the thing I would compare it to would be maybe when, when in the Czech Republic, when uh, Václav Havel or whatever, when they had, like, the Velvet Revolution, and it was, like, they're all, like, the plastic people of the universe, you know, you know about all that stuff? A little bit, tell uh, me more. But, um... Like, they were influenced directly by the Velvet Underground, and that's kind of one of the side things about it being called the Velvet Revolution. Yeah, like, uh, Václav Havel was, like, a playwright, right? He, right. And he was hung but he out. died recently, right? I think he did. Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, the, the sort of, like, I guess they were probably closer to, like, a jam band back then, but, like, Plastic People of the Universe were, like, the underground, like, you know, rebels in, in Czechoslovakia, so... Um, they were really into American music, and they loved, like, I think Lou Reed is, was, like, he, I think he brought Lou Reed over at some point, yeah. But, like, yeah, this almost idea of, like, if something happens in Russia, it's almost, like, a similar thing of, like, indirectly some American underground band. And when people say, like, the Velvet Underground didn't have any fans, but everyone who listened to them started a band, it's almost, like, a direct lineage with something that started here that was... Well, like, the difference being, like, obviously, what you guys are doing is more explicitly political than what Velvet Underground was doing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to think that that could then spiral out to, like, oh, then in Russia, people took this for serious. Yeah. Not that they didn't take it for serious here, but there was so much more at stake, and then they actually acted on it. Yeah. It's really interesting. It is, and it's it's really amazing, I think, um, what they're doing, and um, and I... And, you know, I think it's important to try to look at it from different lenses, too, not just like a Western lens, but um, not that we always know how to look at it from a different lens. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know that it was kind of like the cause celeb, and you're just like, okay, everyone was like, like but I, but, and I know a lot of people had problems with that, but I have to say, if someone's in jail, if I were in jail, Mm -hmm. I would want everyone and anyone, including Madonna, to speak out against it. Right, So, who cares? I don't even care if she says it stupidly. Mm -hmm. Get me out of jail. Exactly. Publicize this shit, and force the, you know, whatever, force the hand of I mean, I guess in a West way... West Memphis some... 3 is maybe another example of yeah. just like being a, a celebrity cause in some ways, yeah. Right, but and they... there still is not enough justice for that, no yeah, way. Yeah, I know, it's it's sick. But, so it's, but it is important, you know, that people speak out, and even if 
you know, it's important to be informed when you're speaking, but at the same time, not everyone has a chance to get fully informed or whatever, but right, they know yeah. it's wrong. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be like an academic genius or whatever to know when something's wrong. Right. And people who maybe don't have any book smarts or whatever should be able to speak out against injustice mm -hmm. and say it however they want to say it, you know. But yes, I'm psyched about Pussy Riot. Um, I'm not psyched about what's happening to them, but I'm psyched about them existing. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it has re-galvanized like, all these riot girls and people who are like, yeah, this is what, this is important to us. Yeah. Because so many bands and music situations right now are so depoliticized. People, I, it's unbelievable to me. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. People can't even bother to be bothered to say one thing on stage mm -hmm. or to speak out against anything or to write a song that says anything at all. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's a lot of great music out there right now. Um, I listen to um, KXLU a lot and stuff, and that's okay, cool, there's a lot of good stuff. But it's so rare that you hear any lyrics that are challenging. Mm -hmm. I think there's music that's interesting and challenging. A lot of it sounds like ripoffs of other bands, but they're at least they're bands I like. Mm -hmm. But um, so musically, there's some interesting stuff, but lyrically, right? Like you I have to look to happened. like you got to look to like Neil Young or someone to actually <laughs> say something. Like no one under twenty five is really like it's become more of like I think the the general vibe is that they people want party music because it's like we're in a recession or whatever, and like they, they want to just like have fun and it's this form of escapism and I think like why has garage rock been revived so much why is mm -hmm. there like retro very like depoliticized retro music mm -hmm. you know people wanted like it's like when people were really into happy days or whatever right. it's like they just want to like recreate the past but it's you really can impressive. have music that sounds good but also has a message yeah you can. I mean MC5 or whatever I mean what Ian Spinonius is doing I mean mm -hmm. chain in the game that's, and they know. do it with a sense of humor. It's hilarious, yeah. but it's political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's good music. It's interesting. I mean, the thing is, is you don't have to say, like, I love you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's still, like, the, I mean, the thing that frustrates me is, like, when I think of, like, if I were to go to Gilman and see, like, a, a Gilman punk band, they'd be saying, saying almost exactly the same stuff they were saying for the last 25 years. It's yeah. like the same content. It's not the I love you stuff, but it's still the same. Yeah. Like, foot cops or whatever. Right, well, that's same. not That stuff never either. changes. Yeah. So it's like a little frustrating that that becomes like what you go to for thinking about, you know, any, any kind of political angle to your music or protest form of your music. Yeah, it's the same thing when you think about like, I'm thinking about like, I mean, around the time I met you probably, we were just starting to get into like a war that is still going on and it's like, Mm. Yep, it's crazy yeah. how long that's been. It's like that's still going on. I know it sucks. Yeah, and like all the energy that we we don't live with it day to day in the same way. I guess when there was a draft, mm -hmm. you know, so it's it's easy to kind of get sucked under like other things. But it's like every once in a while, I'm just like, God damn, that's all more than ten years of doing this. And, like, there was no reason this should be happening. No, it's horrible. Yeah. It was all, it was a lie. And we were talking about that then. Like, I remember when Punk Planet was around, they were like, like, where's the protest music? And, like, you know, I still have, like, a copy of that, you know, that issue. And, yeah. like, I had it as my bathroom reading. I'm like, 
it didn't get any better. Nothing improved after bringing it up. Like, it hasn't gotten better. Yeah. Um, I know, and the economy's so bad, and people just aren't... People are speaking out. There's definitely activists, mm-hmm. and there was, like, Occupy and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in the music scene, not so much. Oh, I mean, even speaking of, like, the Velvet Underground and, like, the Velvet Revolution, one of the most depressing things I saw, to me, personally, as a music fan, was, like, Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground was on this video as being a pro Tea Party person. <gasps> she joined the Tea Party. Like, it was like Maureen Tucker, uh, like, you know, grandmother or whatever. And it was like, and, and that made the rounds. And I think Ooh. people even asked her what was going on. Like, why are you... And, and she, you know, like, she had a way different life than obviously Lou Reed turned out to have. Yeah. And she worked at Walmart for years and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of sad when, like, the people that you look up to and you're aesthetic world end up being kind of like, oh man, why, why are you back in the tea party? That's just the worst. Right. Um, so. Right. Cause you think we're all in this together, but not necessarily. Or like a lot of people that I like, um, for their music or whatever, they're probably more like libertarians or something mm. and stuff. I don't really necessarily <laughs> feel like I'm on that page, but, um, yeah. do you feel like because of the proximity or because everyone somehow a couple degrees removed from actual policy making in DC that when there was you guys had more of a political agenda as far as the music scene went well when I would visit from Olympia to DC I did not think that the music scene was more politicized mm-hmm. I mean I guess they were in a way they did a lot of benefits which was really cool and in the end it, it is kind of like put your money where your mouth is mm-hmm. so they did I felt like they were better in DC the punk scene was better at at what I consider to be more mainstream politics, Mm -hmm. but also just putting your money where your mouth is, the positive force and all Mm -hmm. this stuff, a lot of great people doing good things. Um, But I think as far as personal politics, like Mm -hmm. I said, it was conservative. And I felt like in Olympia, people were a lot more kind of personally revolutionized. Right. Um, You know, um, DC seemed a little homophobic to me, a little Mm -hmm. definitely heterosexist. Somewhat sexist as well. It's a sexist city. I mean, mm-hmm. women got harassed constantly. And I don't mean necessarily in the scene, but just wherever you went. Right. And, um, and then it seemed like uh, often the guys are, who are supposedly our friends weren't really that understanding. Mm-hmm. You know? And whatever. No, it's not a big deal, but it just... It's tiresome. Yeah. Coming back to the West Coast has been, in some ways, a good thing, but also it made me realize kind of how East Coast I had become as well. Uh-huh. Like, I just don't have the patience for a lot of things out here, like slow, crazy drivers who are just meandering all over the place, uh-huh. and people who just don't kind of get a move on, you know, like, mm-hmm. come on, yeah. Yeah. But I have I've always been really talkative, and I talk to strangers, and when I was on the East Coast, people just thought I was crazy everywhere I went, and people didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um... They don't like friendly people no. out there. No. But I also, I feel like being back in, now in L.A., it's, there are a lot of really flaky people here. That's true. And it's, and it's, okay, there can be flaky people everywhere, but you know what? It is standard here. It's accepted. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember even just, like, dating a guy briefly and called him out on his flakiness. I mean, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Freely admit it. So I'm flaky. So what? What's the big deal? And I was like, oh my God, that's the problem right there. You don't even think there's anything wrong with it. You're totally irresponsible and you don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I meant towards me. 
I don't care what he does in his personal life, but you know, just you're irresponsible towards other people and you don't think anything's wrong with it. Like, I don't know. So, anyways, I still have a problem with that. And it's, you know, it's L.A., people are spread out, it's harder to build community here. Yeah, it's really neighborhood to neighborhood. I know a lot of people, but I I feel like there's very few people who I can count as my true friends or who I feel like I could just call up and we'll do something or come over. Um, But there's people I run into, and that's cool, but... What what kind of made you think of uh, coming here after... After New York. Well, when I moved away from D.C., um, I had no real reason except for that I just thought, I don't want to wake up one day and realize that I'm an old lady Mm -hmm. in D.C. and that I haven't lived anywhere else or done anything else. So I moved to New York with no clue, with no job. with I can't believe I did it. And I paid dearly. I mean, I blew through all of my savings. Uh, Two and a half years in New York, I blew through everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And, uh, my, you know, my rent tripled. Everything was expensive. No one hooks you up. Even if you know the bartender, they don't hook you up. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was harsh toke, man. Um, although I had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I love the subway. I had a lot of fun. There was lots to do. Um, I love summers in New York. Um, but th- I'm still I, playing music with Party Line. I was yeah. with Party Line, which was from D.C., mm-hmm. um, but then Crystal lived in New York, so we were kind of mm-hmm. New York, D.C. band for a while. And that was fun, but, you know, I didn't need to be in New York to do that. Yeah, no. And there was no reason for me to be in New York. And I just realized at some point, it's never going to feel like home. It's never going to be home. There's no reason for me to be in this expensive city. After two and a half years, you know that. Yeah, I don't have a good job. I don't, I'm not pursuing some dream, so get the fuck out. <laughs> so then I, um, I can swear, right? No, of course, okay. yeah. And then I, so then when I left D.C., I'd always thought, well, my next stops are either New York or L.A., and after that, I'm leaving the country. Okay. So this is the next one. Mm-hmm. Um so I moved to L.A. I had actually always wanted to try L.A. out, but I just wasn't sure when. Um, I moved here with a boyfriend. Okay. So that was kind of why he was done with New York, and he wanted to move out here. Um, I had never moved anywhere for a boyfriend before. I had too much pride. And so I did it this time, swallowed my pride, and sure enough, he started being a real dick. The minute we got out here... <laughs> So once we, we got to L.A., he started just being a total jerk, and it went down downhill from there. So within six months, we broke up, and uh, all of a sudden, I was like, what the hell am I doing out here? Why did you bring me to California? Blah. Um, but whatever. You know, I have to say, it was, it's, yeah, it was depressing. It wasn't fair. But at the same time, it's a sunny beautiful place it's if you're depressed it's not a bad place to be you can walk outside and feel the air and the sun and uh. being depressed in new york is just like fuel (laughs) (laughs) so much it's the worst yeah i totally feel that yeah but what what do you think about you want to go to another country to live what do you think like europe well i don't know no i mean i don't know i don't really have a plan Mm -hmm. i haven't had a plan for quite a while (laughs) but um i just I don't know. I mean, I feel like I haven't lived in L.A. long enough to know. I mean, really, my first instinct after the breakup was to just turn tail and go back to New York or D.C. I definitely miss my friends. I have really good friends out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my core groups. Um, But I I don't know. I want to give it a try out here. And I was like, no, I am going to 
Yeah, don't let... Stand my ground. Yeah. I'm not going to let that asshole have L.A. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have a piece of it, too. Um, and so I tr- I'm trying it. I started a, a band with um, a bossy girl who... That's what I needed at the time. Mm-hmm. So we were in Cool Moms and um, Four Girls, and it was cool. And so I wrote some so- a lot of songs about my transition to living here. Um Unfortunately, that was a little too short-lived because of difficult personality stuff. But um, anyways, I, I hope to start another band yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, but, well, um, tell me about this trip to Georgia. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, I have an ex-boyfriend from a long time ago, from the late 90s, who lived around the corner from me in D.C., and he's from Georgia, the country, mm-hmm. Georgia, and he was a lo- local neighborhood activist. Um, we, a lot of us were doing this um, D.C. neighborhood a- activism at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, he was involved. And so I met him that way. We started going out. He's pretty funny, wacky dude. Um, and we just remained friends off and on over the years. And um, he recently got in touch with me um, with all the Pussy Riot stuff going on and said, hey, there's a lot of women in Georgia who are concerned about this. They want to try to have a festival or some kind of event. And um, could you come? And we want some Riot Girls to come. They know that I know you and da 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 So he invited me and Toby Vale and um, also uh, Nadia Bice, who she's in a bunch of bands in Portland, mm-hmm. like Ghost Mom and She Beast and the Caledonias and Fierce Perm. But anyways, and she's also um, a performance artist and stuff. She's great. So, um, and then we were trying to invite some other people too. Rachel Carnes was supposed to go, mm-hmm. but half the funding got cut. So in the end, it was, and Toby couldn't go. So in the end, it was me, Nadia, and uh, this guy, Bernardo Santorelli. Oh, from From Noisy Pig and, yeah, yeah, and um, from um, Dada Swing and stuff. But yeah, Italian who lives in Berlin and puts on queer nights and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he, us three went. Mm -hmm. And they both did their solo performances. And we made this kind of uh, cover band that we played also where we did Bratmobile covers. And uh, we did covers of Nadia's band, uh, Ghost Mom. We did Cherry Bomb, whatever, you know. It was kind of funny. But it was, mostly we were just going to have a presence. Uh In the end, it was a little bit, the timing wasn't right, really, for Pussy Riot, because they were already in jail and all this stuff, so, um, not that we, you know, aren't concerned with that, but, um, it ended up being more timed in conjunction with the, um, upcoming elections in Mm -hmm. Georgia, so we were there the week leading up to their elections, which were pretty massive, and they had this, um, prime minister and president in place, Saakashvili, who is just horrible, and he's just really trying to westernize the country. He's trying to say... He's really racist. He said the N-word on national television before. He is trying to say, oh, we're Georgians, we're white. And, you know, he's trying to whitewash the country, basically, and westernize it. He's renaming towns in the countryside, like, after European towns. Like, he called some town Verona and... He just thinks this is somehow going to make progress in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also just extremely nationalistic. I mean, it makes sense that Georgia would be somewhat nationalistic after breaking away from the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But 
he kind of went too far in the anti-Russia direction. Mm-hmm. So he's super anti-Russian. He's sort of, it's sort of like here, he's creating Russia as the enemy so that people yeah. don't notice what all the other bullshit he's doing. Yeah. And he's um, stopped allowing Russian to be taught in the schools. Well, that's, and now they teach English in the schools. Okay, whatever. I mean, everyone speaks Georgian, first and foremost. But the second language used to be Russian, and now it's English. That's not the worst thing in the world, I guess. But at the same time, there's this huge divide between the generations. Mm -hmm. The older generations all speak Russian and Georgian. And the younger ones don't speak Russian and they speak English. And there's a kind of a weird disconnect. With the festival, were they they trying to push a specific agenda? Or was was it really anti this guy? It was anti Saakashvili, Uh for sure. When did they get the funding from? Well, actually, they went around to small businesses, and they raised money from small businesses. It was very sweet and, like, really generous, because, I mean, there's a high unemployment there. I was surprised. Um, Were there bands that were also in the festival that were were local? Yeah, so it it ended up not really being a festival, but it was just, like, a series of events and Mm -hmm. activities. So we we only played, actually, three times. this guy, Arakli Kakabadze, he's the one who helped organize it and brought us over there. He's he's less he's into music and arts, but he's more of kind of into like activism, activism. and performance activism and stuff. But he's not so much a musician. So mm-hmm. the musician end of things kind of I guess suffered a little bit, whatever, because um, I wasn't even in a real band at the time. Mm-hmm. I would like to go back with a real band, but we'll figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was great at organizing us speaking events. So we went and, and met with a lot of different groups, like the LGBTQ groups there, mm-hmm. um, feminist groups. And um, we went to a lot of protests and met with a lot of people. We were on Georgian national television. Really? And, yeah, we, it was crazy. We went and, on... And was it the thing where those people knew about Bramobile? Or? Uh, some people did. The oh. feminists and queer... Yeah, mm-hmm. like some of them did. Mm-hmm. Um they knew about Riot Girl and stuff mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Um, but a lot of people didn't necessarily knew, know who we were, but they just knew that, hey, there's these Americans and an Italian, German, well, European here, and there's these Westerners here, basically, who, instead of hiding out in the hotels and who are just being official diplomats, doing nothing, they're trying to actually meet with people and talk to people and find out what's really going on. And that's what we were doing. We were networking. Yeah. We weren't there to tell anyone, hey, this is what you should do and this is how you do it and woo, woo, woo. But we were just really talking to people and trying to find out what was going on there yeah. and kind of bearing witness to it as well. And I think that was really important for people to have someone from outside the country bearing witness to what's going on. Because I even read it in the New York Times after the election. I mean... Luckily, Saakashvili admitted defeat. It was a landslide, believe me. But they just, oh, he graciously stepped down. It's like, are you kidding me? He was caught with state-sanctioned torture and rape in the prisons. This is what was going on there. And these people, I mean, his government was so stupid, they videotaped their crimes. That's how they got caught. They videotaped the rape and torture so that... I guess they thought it, they could use it for future humiliation, that these people would be so humiliated that they were raped that they would shut up. 
No. <laughs> so anyways, um, it was just unbelievable. And I can't believe the New York Times was like, oh, he so graciously stepped down. And this place is trying to be progressive. I mean, they have George Bush Street and they have Ronald Reagan statues. How do you get progressive? In the I know. And I was like, uh, last time I checked, that was super right wing. But yeah. whatever. Yeah, like I'm like Abu Ghraib. You know? yeah. I mean, our friends there, like some of the organizers, they... Um, in the past, when that turned into George Bush Avenue or whatever, they uh, graffitied it. Yeah. And they were put in jail for that. I was going to say, like, are they, were they really worried for themselves in the same way that the... Well, they didn't care, them? but they went to jail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If these actions, when Georgians commit these political actions, they do go to jail. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it's real. It's, and I guess it's similar to what happens well, to the Occupy or something. Yeah. Those. Yeah. And, I mean, they just, I think they threw red paint bombs at it or something like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that trip in Georgia was very productive. It was very interesting. And we met with people and saw a side that I think, I mean, it's a small country. And even if, I mean, first of all, the Western media doesn't even report. Yeah, I know nothing. Right, about they don't even acknowledge their existence. Yeah. But if when they do, it's such a skewed view. I couldn't believe it. Um, and And they were saying, oh, there are tons of election of international observers there and they were everywhere on the streets and i was like bull fucking shit they were in the marriott lobby the whole time and i know because every time we were downtown we went into the we went to piss in the marriott lobby we went to the bathrooms in there they were always hanging out in the lobby these people didn't go out in the streets they didn't meet people they didn't meet with people they didn't ask the real people what was happening what was going they had on handlers yeah. how they felt yeah. And it's just total BS. And, I mean, we met with people. Like, there was people of all ages crying about how f- they longed for the... I mean, things were so bad that people were longing for the days of the Soviet Union. They were nostalgic for Soviet stuff because it had become so nationalistic in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And people were saying, at least under Soviet control, we had um, social programs. Mm-hmm. There was a safety net of some sort. Um, now we have nothing. Unemployment's like 50% or whatever, you know. It's just, it was intense, very intense. So anyways, that was important. I hope we'll go back. I think we will. Um, I would like to start a new band here. Um, I'm trying to get Billy Karen. Where is he living right now? Olympia. What? Really? Yeah, but he says he's moving to L.A. and that we're going to start a band together. So I hope that's what happens. Because um, otherwise my other attempts to start bands with people here hasn't haven't really panned out. People yeah. are busy or flaky or whatever. Yeah, so. all of that. Well, welcome to the West Coast. Thank I don't you. know if you've been here, but I mean, who knows? I might end up in L.A. Cool. Good. And we we'll do a band or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Allison. Oh, you're so welcome, George. Okay.